Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini. I'm one of the founders of Forefront. And joining me today is Forefront chairman, Rich Chrisman. Hi, everyone. Also joining us today, Forefront podcaster, Dan Becker. That's me. Hello. How are you wow, doing Wow, Forefront podcaster. Great. What a cool title. Yeah, it's a cool title. Yeah. I might add that to my LinkedIn profile. I'm I just like a should. chair man. Like, yeah. like I just sit in a lot yeah. of chairs. Yeah. Podcast yeah. chair man. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, the thing is, one of the things that one does when one is sitting in a chair is watch movies. And on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the big movies of summer 2023. Now, by my watch, it's currently October already. Uh, where, where's the time gone? You might say we're, we're getting into the autumn season. However, we did think it'd be worthwhile to do a little uh, look back at the movies of the summer because uh, this is, again, a very kind of center of, of culture that occurs, these big summer movies, and to be able to look at them uh, from a Christian perspective, from an artist perspective, and just to react to them together and to say, hey, what, what did we think? What, what kind of coming out of these did we take away? What did we love? What did we hate? What could we do without? Um, how did these films impact us as people? So we're going to go through many of the big movies of the summer in this podcast as quickly as we can while giving you compelling content. And let's be, let's be honest. We know there's a big difference between the summer blockbuster and, you know, the the movie that comes out in November or, or even February. So mm-hmm. like these are going to be right. the summer blockbuster. Indeed. Flicks. Yes. So uh, there, there may be movies that are not on our list. You are welcome to send us your takes on all of those movies that we missed. But what we're doing is we're reviewing the movies we have seen. So those of us who are on this podcast have seen the following movies. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Across the Spider-Verse, John Wick 4, The Flash, Asteroid City, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Mission colon Impossible dash Dead Reckoning colon Part 1, Barbie, and Oppenheimer. So those are the films we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Look, we want this podcast to be one where you can listen to the podcast and it could help you determine whether you might want to see one of these movies that you haven't seen yet. So we're not going to talk any major spoilers in our discussion. However, we may talk about certain plot details in order to give our takes on the films. So if there's one of these movies that, you know, you've just been dying to see and you don't want to know anything about it going into it, go ahead and skip that part of the episode. In the show notes, we're going to have time codes so you can see when we talk about each each movie. So feel free to skip one if you don't want to know anything at all about it. But overall, we're going to avoid major spoilers. So you can hear our thoughts and you can decide, hey, is this something I might, might want to see? But also get on that, though, because these movies came out months ago. So... Yeah. It's the perfect time. They yeah, probably yeah, they yeah, probably really all no excuses. <laughs> they're yeah, on yeah, streaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blockbuster, yeah. Redbox, you can get yeah. it anywhere. Redbox, does that exist? I don't know. It's oh, all right, all right. still around and, and still very profitable, in fact. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh. I don't even know anyone with a DVD player. Except maybe you. I got a DVD player. Oh, okay, people, okay, okay. Yeah, people still have them. And uh, now Redbox is selling digital ads on their kiosks. Mm, so, interesting. You know. Sure. Progress marches on. But um, anyway... We're going to dive in one at a time into these films and, and just kind of give our take on them. What what was kind of our, our main thought walking away from the film? So we're not going to do it super in depth. We're going to give our takes 
and we're going in chronological order, release date order. Correct. We're going to go in order of release date. And if we have a take that you think is absolutely terrible and you completely disagree with us, that's awesome. Leave us a comment. Leave us a comment on Instagram at Forefront Fest and tell us what we got wrong. First off, you guys ready? Yeah, yeah. Ready. We're diving into Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Rich Chrisman. What is your take on Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Uh, Traumatizing. Difficult to view. Um, Mm. I... uh, uh, did we need a Guardians three? No. Uh, did we? Did we want a Guardians three? Sort of. Um, wow. the, 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 I think the, many did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I uh, I was. You wanted a raw take. No, I um. No, in all seriousness, I enjoyed Guardians three more than much of what Marvel has put out in the in the past couple years. Mm. Um, I think it it feels more like what we were getting from Marvel five years ago than what we've gotten over the past two, yeah. um, which is refreshing if you're still still a Marvel fan. Um, I do think that many of the, like with, with no spoilers, um, it's a movie that I enjoyed seeing. If you like Marvel movies, definitely see it. Um, I, I've never felt any urge to, to pull it up on Disney Plus and watch it again. Um, mm-hmm. But it was definitely a fun ride. Um, a lot of the coolest, I don't want to say gimmicks, but like the, the, the most memorable features, I think, of Guardians movies that really arrested me in Guardians 1 and 2 um, aren't really expanded on in a meaningful way in this one. So if you like Guardians movies, this one is, you'll love it, I think. Ooh, yeah. if, you're, if you've been iffy on the other two, <clears throat> maybe skip this one. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Dan Becker. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And um, Becker, your take on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah, to piggyback off a point Rich was just making before we did this, I did a quick search on just looking at all the Marvel movies in, in release order since 2008. And I'm going through How I'm long like, did it take to read? I'm like, banger, <laughs> banger, banger, banger. Like every single one. And then one Thor the Dark great. World happened. <laughs> Thor the Dark World. So what I realized is that from 2008. <laughs> uh, it's still better than the third Thor movie, but that's a whole other issue. Um, or fourth Thor movie? Oh, yeah. There Love and Thunder. Ragnarok is Ragnarok great. Ragnarok is great. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, Love yeah. and Thunder was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, from 2008 to 2019, the majority of Marvel movies that came out were good. Mm-hmm. So that's 11 years of a franchise making great movies. It was an incredible run. Incredible run. And then to your point, Rich, from basically like 2019 to 2023, the majority of them have just been meh to yeah. bad. Yeah. So Guardians Volume 3 to me was a great like sigh of relief, a breath of fresh air, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Because I yeah. was like, this is just, it. It like you just said, right? It feels like... OG Marvel. It feels good. It feels real. Yeah. Um, I had a great time. I thought the story was beautiful. I loved the, the concentration on like Rocket and his upbringing and everything. I thought that was a cool mm-hmm. story to tell. I also just like James Gunn as a director, I think. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate his attention to detail when making comic book movies. I'm very excited to see where he takes DC because uh, yeah. I think that'll be a, a really cool adventure. Save um, it for the Flash discussion. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> Um, the last thing I'll mention about guardians as somebody who loves music, I loved the music in guardians. Uh, you could tell 
that that has been a consistent theme through all three movies. Mm -hmm. And James was like, this is it. This is the last one. This is my last one. We're just going to go full throttle. It was like a little much. Yes. (laughs) But I loved it. I thought they were great tunes that Mm -hmm. they decided to include. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, I really enjoyed it. If you haven't seen it yet, I absolutely think it's a must see. If you're a Marvel fanboy who's kind of been sitting back saying like, yeah, they're not good anymore. I'm done with it. Definitely check this one out because I think it'll it'll bring you back a little bit. Yeah. I think I really resonate with your take, Dan. I mean, my take is basically I, I literally just watched this movie like yesterday. <laughs> so I, I missed this in the theaters and hadn't hadn't watched it on Disney Plus for a while. Decided to catch up and watch it partially just in preparation for this discussion. I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. Yeah. And I think my take is really that it is a confident movie that James Gunn brings such a confident direction to this in such a way that, you know, like Rich said, if you're not a fan of guardians of the galaxy, you didn't like parts one and two, this movie is not going to change your mind, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same style of movie. So if you watch those movies and you're like, ah, oh, these are just too weird for me, too wacky. I don't like it. You're not going to like this one. But if you thought, hey, those are directionally, those were good films, films I really enjoyed, he takes his confident direction and knocks us out of the park. Um, I think it's a tremendous conclusion to the Guardians trilogy if you look at it in that mm-hmm. way. And we've talked a lot about trilogies on Forefront, right? Talked a lot about the Star Wars sequel trilogy. We knew Star Wars would come up at some point. And the fact <coughs> that that third installment was poor according to many of us, I think really soured our feeling on the trilogy as a whole. Um, And so third installments have this way of either taking a trilogy down or bringing it up, I think, in kind of public consciousness. Think about another trilogy, Indiana Jones, which is no longer a trilogy. We're going to be talking about an Indiana Jones installment later in this podcast. But um, you look at the original trilogy, it had a bit of a dip at Temple of Doom. People said, ah, this isn't as good as, as Raiders of the Lost Ark. But when Last Crusade came out, now all of a sudden people look back on that trilogy and say, that was a brilliant trilogy. I think people will do something similar with Guardians of the Galaxy, if it is your cup of tea, that having this very strong third installment, I think will make a lot of people look back on the Guardians trilogy as being one of the best, you know, trilogies of comic book movies, um, certainly of, of the Marvel canon, and revisit the other films as well for that reason, knowing that it has such a strong conclusion. And it maintains just how fun all, all those movies are. Like Dan said, he'll just take a break and just play a song and the characters will just like dance to this song for like a minute in slow motion. It's just this hilarious and fun thing that most movies would never take the time to do. Um, So I, I really enjoyed it. I think he did it right. You Mm. heard like Taika Waititi when he was doing Thor four, say a lot of similar stuff. Like we want to make it fun. We want to make it, but it just went like way too far in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So when I watched guardians three, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the good balance. This is an example. Yeah. And the last thing I really just want to quick put a hotspot on, it's not a summer movie, but if you have not seen the Guardians Holiday Special, (laughs) you 100% have to see the Guardians Holiday Special. It is amazing. It is very fun. (laughs) Really? I I hated it. I don't know. I just like, I mean, whatever. Maybe I'm just just not a Guardians guy, maybe. I didn't realize you didn't like Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. 
No, that's not. That I no, I I shouldn't say I hated it. I um I did not. No, that's but uh, no, and I do like Guardians. Um, I just felt that, and like this is not a Guardians podcast, so I'll stop yeah. after this. But I I think that Guardians one is one of the best Marvel movies, like by far. Yeah. And then I think Guardians two is like a little bit of a step down, but it's still mm. really good. And then I felt like this one was like a little bit of a step down again. So like mm. that that was just my my take on that. But still like. A strong it's, and correct. It's absolutely take. fun. <laughs> yeah. It's well, Nate was kind of insinuating that it like held up the end of the trilogy, yeah. but like I, I liked it better than two. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, th- I think it was even stronger than two. I don't remember two at all. So, <laughs> well, exactly. So, so your take is it was, invalid. It was rel- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. two was relatively <laughs> forgettable. Um, all right, let's move on. Across the Spider Verse, Dan Becker. Yeah. What's your take on? Across the Spider-Verse. I I love these movies so far. I loved the first one. I thought it was... Ooh, I don't know if I want to give this hot take. I I thought it was the probably... The best Spider-Man movie. <laughs> the best Spider-Man movie that's come out. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty common take um, on the internet. I, I, yeah. The second one was just as good. I love what they're doing with the animation style, bringing like comic book and live action. And well, I guess I shouldn't say live action. I don't know how to describe their animation style. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can speak better to that rich, but I love what they're doing. I think it's gorgeous and beautiful. I really like the soundtracks they're using too. Um, I remember after seeing the first one, I had that soundtrack on repeat for months afterwards. And it was the same thing with this one. Um, I thought the storytelling was, I thought the story was awesome. I thought it was such a cool way to use the multiverse, uh, since that's like super popular right now in all the movies. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is at first I really did not like the cliffhanger ending. And we could talk about that in the spoiler section down the road, but at first I did not like the cliffhanger ending. And I was like, I want resolution to this movie. I felt like I did not get resolution. Mm. And then the more I thought about it, and after I took some time to like digest it and marinate in it and stuff, I was like, oh man, this is how movies used to be. Mm -hmm. They're making a trilogy. You get one movie. It lets off with a huge cliffhanger and you have to wait like three years to find out what happened. Because it's it's really a three-act story. Rather right. than three distinct movies. And I, I came to appreciate the cliffhanger ending, the unresolved questions, the unresolved character plots and how characters change from the first movie to the second movie. Um, and I just, I loved it all over. I genuinely don't think I've got any complaints about it. Wow. Yeah, I think this movie is um, incredible. I think it, it does everything right that superhero slash sci-fi movies are getting wrong these days you know i and and what i mean by that is the fact that the it's almost like i'm actually gonna borrow something that you said recently in conversation nate but it when you see nate was talking about how he recently was watching some really good sci-fi and he was kind of reminded by the fact that like sci-fi can be really good and we've almost become accustomed to stuff being mediocre and yeah. still like making ourselves enjoy it anyway, you know, like bringing ourselves to enjoy it. And I think that um, both of the Spider-Verse movies so far have shown us what superhero movies 
can be and have been in the past mm-hmm. and also have potential to be in the future, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it kind of like remi- like watching Across the Spider-Verse reminded me what a good movie feels like. And sometimes you like forget what that feels like because we're so used to these like kind of like churned out mediocre movies. Um, That's huge. And I think that it is particularly, I'm particularly attached to these movies because I feel like they do Spider-Man well in a way. And I like Spider-Man movies. I've liked all three live action Spider-Man. I'm cool with Spider-Man movies. Um, But I think that the animated movie does Spider-Man in a way that he can't be done in mm-hmm. live action. And I think that that is so beautiful because Spider-Man is a comic character. So the fact that they created a world that functions like a comic book, but it's a film. Yeah, right. And I just think that, and, and just to distinguish that, like that is different than an animated Spider-Man you know, like in the nineties, we grew up with like the Spider-Man, the animated series or whatever, right? Those are all well and good, but they don't function like comics. Like when Mm. you watch the Spider-Verse movies, it's like you are watching like life breathed into the actual comic book, Mm. you know, which is, which is just so cool. And they, they put, even if you're not at all, like the plot is amazing, like Dan said and all that stuff. But even if you're not at all interested in Spider-Man or that particular you know, spider, spider people across the, the verse. Um, if you're not interested in any of that, um, I, I do think that this movie will stand kind of the test of time just as a feat of animation. Mm. Um, and I, I don't, yeah. this isn't a spoiler. It's just a fact of the, of the film, but the fact that across the spider verse animates characters that come from different universes at different frame rates and in different styles yeah. so that yeah. you can subliminally see that they're from different worlds. Yeah. And it's just, just that That's kind of so effort cool. that we just don't see in a lot of other places. So yeah. I think Spider-Verse is absolutely worth seeing. Uh, another endorsement that I can give is um, my wife doesn't really like superhero movies really at all and very much enjoyed both Spider-Verse movies because they are truly good stories that have a very clear human element. And I think that I think that one of the reasons why my wife doesn't connect with Marvel movies as much is because she doesn't feel humanity in them, mm. you know, and Spider-Verse has those. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can sum up that whole thing with that last thing you just said. You can, it's clear they put hard work into that movie. And I'm curious if there's, if they've given a title to animating comic books, because to your point, like it's not animation, it's like an animated comic book that they brought to life. I wonder mm-hmm. if they have like an artistic term for that now. Yeah. I don't know about that, but I do know just if you're a listener and you're not familiar with what they've done, they, um, they painstakingly animated this movie with multiple styles of animation at the same time, even the first one. So there's, there's computer generated animation and there's also hand drawn animation working in, in tandem together. And, um, so that it feels like a computer generated movie that is using the same, qualities that the comic books that you're used to use and so it's it's very cool and it's very i i didn't grow up with spider-man comics but i've heard from people that it's it feels very familiar yeah yeah and i can imagine that doing that 
time intensive animation process has got to be a big motivation for the creators behind the film to realize like everything is being painstakingly created from scratch in these visuals. And so like the script and the storyboard are of such vital importance that you can't just like, Oh, we'll just shoot it this way. And then that way we'll and decide later, you know, it's yeah. like, it's all this hard work. Um, so I'm glad that that paid off. And uh, just the last drop, the acting is tremendous. The voice acting is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Everybody nails it. That's huge. All right. We need to move on to John Wick 4. Dan Becker, you're the only one of us who has seen John Wick 4. So we have to take your word for (laughs) it. Okay. Your your take is the only take. Have you guys seen any of the other John Wick movies? I've seen the original. Okay. No. You haven't seen it. Did you like the original? I thought it was is absolutely incredible action. Like yeah. it's, it's it's not like my favorite kind of movie, right? Um, I just I I appreciate like more plot and story yeah. and character development, but for what it is, yeah, incredible. So here's the thing <laughs> with the John Wick movies: you don't watch the John Wick movies if you want drama and romance and deep mm-hmm. thought and like intricate scripts that make you just you know, sweat, right? That's not why you watch the John Wick movies. You watch the John Wick movies because every now and then you just kind of want to watch some mindless action film. And that's what this movie is. I think that there are a lot of movies out there that try to deliver that mindless action. And to your point with the sci-fi films, they do it very poorly, Mm -hmm. i.e., the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> it's just like it was good up to a point and then they just totally lost it because they're trying to just do this like mindless action or whatever. Yeah. It's about family though. <laughs> I don't I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Is John Wick about family? <laughs> um and I really thought that I, I think this about all the John Wick movies, but especially the fourth one. They did such a good job of keeping me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Mm. They also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, you'll know this better than I will. My interpretation is that there's in action movies, there's typically three action scenes. You get kind of one at the beginning, one in the middle, and then one at the end. And you kind of pace them out into that three thing. Mm. That's not really how John wick was. John wick was like, (laughs) and it's a long movie. It's like three hours. It was three hours of pure fighting, gunfights, sword fights, just the whole thing. Yeah. With like three breaks in between yeah. each one. Um these islands in the midst of the warfare. <laughs> I I just loved it. I mean I mean I can't get into the cinematography was incredible. I think the acting was actually incredible. The bad guy whose name I forgot because I'm horrible with names and dates. It's not my fault. I have an executive functioning disorder. You can look those up though. I can look those up, yeah. Uh, he did awesome. Like his his bad guy persona, I think he delivered that beautifully. Keanu is Keanu. He, I mean, it's just what you'd expect out of Keanu. Still, is what you got. still Keanu. Um, I don't remember who told me this, um, but I have a good friend who gave me a hot take that Keanu Reeves is actually a bad actor. Hmm. He's just been in good movies. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the John Wick movies are perfect for that yeah. because he doesn't really have to try that hard. He just has to be a super cool dude 
who yeah. is slightly invincible, at least more than like the average person, and then make it for a film through three hours. Really, like I loved it. If if you just want to watch a mindless action movie, you got to go for it. Um, ten out of ten would recommend. I have heard that it. I've heard people say that it is the best of the four. I. It's either four or one. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I always have a hard time when you when you have a trilogy or a quadrilogy. I don't know. Um, I always have a hard time saying like which is the best one yeah. because you can't really leave out the OG. Yeah, uh, but it's definitely one or four for sure. Yeah, and people have said like the action is truly revolutionary. Like, just like some of the best action filmmaking we've just seen we've seen like in recent memory and it's not lazy either i mean you can like if you watch the fight scene in the last jedi i know people have done this a million times over yeah they pick apart the throne room scene for like the really crummy choreography and 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 all that i think it'd be you'd be really hard pressed to do it in this movie um the only argument you could bring is like hey he got shot so he he should be down now Mm. and he's not so that's Mm. A fair argument, but it's not something you think about in a mindless action movie. How the movie works, yeah. Yeah. What you said about uh, Keanu Reeves reminds me, I have a work acquaintance who's friends with Jason Momoa (laughs) and, like, like, has worked with him and, like, lived near him. And apparently Jason Momoa has said, like, a very similar thing to what you just said, where he's like, he's like, I'm not a good actor. Like, I don't know how to act. (laughs) But people just keep putting me in their movies. (laughs) (laughs) Can we get Jason Momoa on the podcast? I mean, maybe. Let's bring him in. Probably not anymore that I said that. But, um, (laughs) no, but... But yeah, it's just like because he has that that look and that presence, it almost doesn't yeah. matter. It's like that's that's what we were looking for. Yeah, there's a couple actors out there who play the part that they naturally are. Yeah. Um, and Jason Momoa playing like a Dothraki in Game of Thrones. Like you look at him and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's I him. get it. You watch yeah. him in Aquaman and you're like, yeah. Which he it. obviously got cast in game, or not obviously. He yeah. get, I assume he was cast in Game of Thrones primarily be, for his look. look. Yeah, right. And then right. from that point on, people were like, "Oh, he could be Aquaman." And right. now he's in Dune, and yeah, everything. is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Anyway, we're gonna move on in a flash to the Flash. Rich Christman, oh. what are your thoughts on the Flash? Oh boy, the Flash is fun in a lot of ways um it does not deliver in my opinion what it wanted to or what it what it claimed to deliver so um if you are so i i guess i'll give a quick answer here if you are a fan of dc uh, you're a fan of superhero films in general and you just like a fun superhero movie this will be a fun movie for you to see. Um, the character of the Flash, while Ezra Miller is problematic now, he is a pretty good actor, I would say, and he plays this version of Barry Allen pretty well. I I really enjoy watching him as the Flash. He does a good job with that. Um, this is not a spoiler because it was on the trailers, but um, Michael Keaton, Tim Burton, Batman is back, and that is awesome it's really cool to see um he steps back into that role very easily uh i i 
thought that the scenes with Michael Keaton were the best scenes in the movie. Um, but I really think that, uh, in summary, I, I'm a big DC fan. I really like DC characters. I really, really wanted this movie to be what it was kind of billed to be, which was essentially a reboot or a restart or a re-enlivening of the DC world. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it just doesn't do that. It falls short of that in a lot of ways. And I feel like it felt, uh, it, I, I felt a lot of echoes of other DC projects that were kind of universally considered to be disappointing. So, um, so in summary, if you like the flash and you like Batman and you like Superman and DC characters, see it. It's fun. The acting is good. You know, in most parts, the action is fun. See it. Um, but like if you're, if you're looking for a new franchise or like trying to get into something, I, this isn't the place. Dan, your take. Yeah, I mean, see it because it's free on streaming. <laughs> it's free? A ringing endorsement. I guess you need oh, to have Oh, HBO if you have the Max. HBO. Yeah, yeah. You mean Max. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, Max. Yeah, yeah. Yes, correct. Pepsi Max. I mean, it's it's not good. I, I I have moments of the movie that I like. Um, I echo Rich's comments about Michael Keaton. That was, that was great to see. I feel like the the old i don't know what to call it i feel like dc movies up to now have a history of feeling very excited at the beginning when they're announced yeah and then the first trailer drops and you're like oh this is going to be an awesome movie and then somehow you walk out disappointed every I time i couldn't even explain to you the hype that i had for this movie yeah and, and looked, like and like i don't want to spoil anything right but like i feel this is I don't I, I don't know this to be fact, but I feel that the way that this movie was marketed, I honestly feel like who whatever company it is that that produced this, whatever. What is it? Warner Brothers? I think so. I think it is yeah. Warner Brothers. Yeah. But anyway, whoever produced this, I honestly feel like the finished product was handed to like the marketing team mm-hmm. and they literally were like in order to make money, we are going to make this movie look like something it isn't. Mm. And then, like, and that's what I feel like happened. At least that's what happened to me. Yeah, you know, um, it, can it, proceed. It was funny because it was announced, and I was excited. Then a bunch of stuff started coming off about Ezra, and I'm like, okay, I'm not excited anymore. They should stop the movie, and they mm-hmm. didn't. And then they dropped a trailer, and I was like, oh, this actually looks awesome. And it makes sense because James Gunn is going to be hitting the reset button, and the, and he's good at making Guardians movies. The Flashpoint storyline is a perfect storyline cool. yeah. to hit the reset button on an entire universe. You have it all teed up and lined up. And then the movie came out and everybody's saying bad things about it. And I'm like, really? They're saying bad things? I was surprised. And then I saw yeah. it and I was like, oh. And you were like, oh. This is just, oh. it's like the CGI is bad. Yeah. The story. It felt rushed. The story was fine, but I've also seen that story played out before. So I actually really enjoy um, the like R-rated DC animated films. Yes, thank you, Dan. Um, and they've done Flashpoint, and it was amazing. So it was so good. So I'm kind of comparing it to that storyline that I've seen done a bunch of times before. Yeah, and it just didn't add up. Um, I, I, I to your point, I thought Ezra was a great actor, but meh. Well, 
The sky's the limit as to where we'll go next. I think we should head to Asteroid City. Yeah. Dan Becker, you're the only one among us who has seen Asteroid City. What is your take on this movie? Clearly, I'm the movie buff of yeah, the group, clearly. I think. Much more than Nate, whose career is making movies. You've seen, like, all of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, Asteroid City, I saw at The Little. And why, why don't you just tell people what Asteroid City is? Yeah. Because I feel like it's people might not know. So it's a Wes Anderson film. So right off the bat, if you don't like Wes Anderson films, you're not going to like Asteroid City. Uh, all of his tropes that you see in every single movie, the kind of like quirkiness, the limited color palettes, those like big <laughs> wide angle shots. Um, he gets more Wes Anderson every time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's in it. the star stud cast too. That's the thing that always, I, I kind of laugh about is it's this, it feels like this very small scale indie film. And then it's like you've got Tom Hanks and Scarlett yeah. Johansson and then every other actor he plays in every other movie. And, um, I, you know, I actually really loved it, though. I had such a fun time watching that movie. One of the things that really stood out to me was I felt like I learned a lot about the characters, even though I didn't have to. Like, the characters were not necessarily essential to the storyline and that was okay. And I still learned a lot about like who they are as people and it didn't affect the storyline at all, but I just appreciated that he could do good storytelling and good character building when he didn't really have to. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, I thought the storyline was great. I thought that there was a really fun twist with it. Again, it was this kind of movie where I didn't really know what it was going to be just from the trailers. Um, so I really had to like watch it. Um, but I had a really good fun time with it. I have to re echo it though. It's a, it's a Wes Anderson film. So if you like Wes Anderson, you are going to love this as much as you loved the other ones. Uh, if you don't, you're probably not going to like it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, if adventure has a name, it's Indiana Jones. We're going to talk about Indiana Jones. That, yeah, that's a, that's a tagline from one of the original, Indiana Jones. Oh, I thought you just made that up off oh. the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If adventure has a name, it's Indiana Jones. We're going to talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. This is the fifth Indiana Jones film. Indiana Jones is still played by Harrison Ford. He's back. Has not yet given up the hat. Remember all those rumors that it was going to be Chris Pratt? My goodness. <laughs> I do remember hearing yeah. that. And uh, Shia LaBeouf, you know, yeah, had yeah. had a good run. Yeah, had a good run. Wasn't his name Mutt? It it was. <laughs> it was in fact Mutt. Uh, so, so <laughs> Mutt Williams, I think. So we can we can talk about that in spoilers. Rich Christman, what is your take on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? The Dial of Destiny is an Indiana Jones movie. Mm-hmm. I could I could stop it there, but um no, but I mean it it improves on on some of the shortcomings of the Crystal Skull. Yes, mm. um, one of the most hilarious titles, Indiana Jones yeah. and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Right, right. So it it improves on some of the failings of that one. I agree. Um, but the way that it improves on them is by 
trying its very best to mimic and or emulate Raiders, which mm. is fun and what I wanted to see. So um, I, if you want to experience another Indiana Jones with, with some different flavoring, I, which is what I wanted, I was very, I very much enjoyed it, and mm. uh, I think it's really good. If you're expecting groundbreaking Indiana Jones content, I don't know if that's what you're going to get, but um, I do think that it... I mean, is there any confirmation that this is, like, the close to the series? I think as far as we know okay. it is, but so nothing is certain. So with, no without really gone. Yeah, so without spoiling anything at all about it, I... The best... The most positive thing I can say about the movie is the fact... Uh, not that I can't find positives. I enjoyed it. But the the highest positive I can say about it is the fact that... I think it does a very good job portraying an older Indiana Jones who is f- way past his prime mm-hmm. and dealing with much more than just like the zany like jokes of like, oh, my back. You know, like it's much more, it deals with like the true depth of what that character would be going mm-hmm. through at that time in his life and the ways that that would affect his relationships and his self-confidence and even him as a we get him as a professor as well and all these things and um i think they did they did a service i think to the to harrison ford and to the character in Mm -hmm. dealing with him when he's not whip slinging you know very well i think yeah yeah this movie was was fine you know, I, I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was, like, actively bad, <laughs> like, in a lot of ways, uh, disappointingly so. And I think this movie was was fine. It's definitely an upgrade from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And uh, I think, I believe it was James Mangold directed this one. Did a fine job. It's a decent movie. I think it's an, it's an enjoyable adventure film. Um, pretty good as an Indiana Jones movie. So... I really don't, I don't have anything against it. I'm not like yeah. this was a, this was a poor film. I, I, I really, I really did enjoy my time watching it. Um, but it led me to reflect on like what I love about Indiana Jones. Cause I do love Indiana Jones as a character. I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I particularly love Last Crusade. That's actually my favorite um, for a lot of reasons. And I like it, how we all just skip over the second one. It's yeah. like it didn't happen. <laughs> well, yeah, as, as mentioned previously, Temple of Doom, I think, was a bit of a dip uh, for a lot of people. But it led me to, re- to reflect on what I, what I love about Nina Jones. And, and it brings me to, you know, this is 4 from 360. We're, we're a podcast about the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. And for me, that was a really neat aspect of Indiana Jones is that in Raiders and the last crusade, he was seeking after artifacts from Christian and Jewish history. And so there was something really visceral about it for me where I wasn't kind of detached saying, Oh, this is a fantasy story about some guy going after some magic object, like an infinity stone. But I realized that like this, this is a guy like, going after objects that actually exist. And in the case of Raiders of the Lost Ark, like done with such reverence, such reverence to what the Ark of the Covenant is. And Indy's experience with the Ark of the Covenant is very much in line with what one might expect if one was familiar with the Old Testament 
and you got to give Spielberg yeah. credit. I mean, the the guy knows how to make a a movie that is very respectful to the Jewish understanding. Yeah. I mean, even his hands in Prince of Egypt, you know. Yeah. But absolutely, anyway, yeah. and maybe like so. I think to to a great extent with Raiders Lost Ark with with the Ark of the Covenant, just feeling the reverence for the Ark and the power of God. Um, maybe to to a slightly lesser extent with the Last Crusade, but but a similar idea of this this goblet, you know, being kind of life giving. But you you have to you 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 can't just be seeking after this, seeking power and glory for yourself. But it's something that has to be kind of given out of love for someone else, you know, just as Christ did. And so the Last Crusade has this, you know, reverence for the Holy Grail uh, in, in the same way that, that Raiders has reverence for the Ark of the Covenant. And there was something really special about that for me because it felt, you know, as a Christian that it's like, well, if someone were to encounter artifacts like this, sure, maybe they might not function quite like uh, they do in these movies, but the power of God is real. And these movies depicting the power of God functioning through these artifacts was very visceral for me as a Christian. And so when Indiana Jones goes after artifacts like that, it adds so much weight to the film. Whereas uh, in some of the movies and including this movie, you know, Indiana Jones is going after the dial of Archimedes, which is a somewhat, made up object there's some thought that there was something like this but it didn't function anything like yeah, what it, it does it doesn't film. it doesn't feel um, like a real object at all for yeah. various reasons yeah, yeah it, it it feels like it is it was something made up to be the MacGuffin for this movie and so i can i can accept it for the sake of the movie and i can have a good time but it did not have the same weight for me that i really felt like this could this could actually be real you know. Yeah, also the fact, just to add on to that, the fact that the movie does spend a significant amount of time explaining what the object is and why you should care mm -hmm. kind of shows you what you're saying because like yeah. with things like the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail, they only need a line of dialogue right. to explain like the gravity of the objects. Yeah, and in some ways like the, their experience with it kind of proves the point. But uh, one, other, one other thing I want to say is that in relation to this faith and art intersection, there's a line in this movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, where Indiana's talking to his uh, goddaughter, I believe, and he's like, you know, one thing I've learned throughout my time is that it doesn't really matter what you believe. It just matters how hard you believe it. <laughs> great that's amazing and yeah. it it sounds like this really profound line and you're like oh wait does this sum up like all of what indiana jones has learned in his life nope <laughs> and nope. objectively no no yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't because yeah. like it's literally the exact opposite of what he's learned well, like, it's also just <laughs> it just a couple seconds of thought will tell you it's like terrible advice. It's terrible. Like, advice. like even if you're not a person of faith, like it doesn't matter what you believe. It's just how hard you believe. I know. Like, like, uh, you know, Tim, Tim Keller is famous for saying what really matters isn't the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Mm. And if you just have a small amount of faith in the right person, Jesus Christ, that's what matters. 
and Indiana Jones here is saying the exact opposite. He's just, it just matters how hard you believe it, which is again, that's not what he learned, <laughs> right? Like I believe in Santa <laughs> so hard. So hard. Like those those like, guys in, uh, in, you know, when they were searching for the Holy Grail uh-huh. and he picked the like fanciest cup out of yeah. all of it. I bet he believed, yeah, he believed really hard that that was yeah, the right one. And it exactly. clearly didn't work out. It's yeah. exactly my point. Yeah. And similarly in Raiders of the Lost Ark, like the Nazis believed real hard that this was going to bring yeah. them such power and glory. Uh, but they believed the wrong thing. So it didn't work out. So I just, I just think that it shows that, like Indiana Jones says of the Ark of the Covenant in Raiders of the Lost Ark, they don't know what they've got there. Yeah. And I don't think that today's directors know what they've got there in Indiana mm, Jones. Yep. And if they did, they might have made a better movie. Dude, so, I feel like that's so well said just in general. Like, like very, especially so regarding Indiana Jones for the reasons mm-hmm. you said. Yeah. But I think that that line could be applied to a lot of what we've already discussed. Yes. Which I feel like today, and I... I am truly baffled by it. I don't understand why it is so. But it seems like the most beloved and valuable franchises are just being handed over left and right to -hmm. people that don't even know what they're holding. And that that confuses me to no end. Yeah. Speaking of movies that have problematic flashbacks, (laughs) let's talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Oh, I thought we were part Barbie. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I believe I'm the only one who's seen this movie. So I'll give my take on it. Look, I, I really enjoy Mission Impossible movies. Uh, Dan recently talked about John Wick, uh, a movie that is is not a movie you go to for plot, but a movie you go to for fun action. Mission Impossible, somewhat similar. There always is a plot, but it's intentionally not a deep plot it's almost humorously uh surface level often but uh the stunts are always absolutely incredible of course tom cruise famously does his own stunts always tries to outdo himself um, so the action set pieces are, are are truly amazing and there actually are always some fun like character moments and just setups that are are very um unique and clever in each film i thought mission impossible's three through six uh, each have like significant things to commend them in different ways. And on another podcast, we, we could talk about what those are, but I think they're all, those are all like good movies in their own way. Is this the seventh movie now? Yes. Yeah. Sugar. A lot, a lot of mission impossible movies, but, um, this movie, I, I think my, my take on it is what I have seen in a lot of films is, a mixing up of timeline or when information is revealed for the sake of kind of making a movie interesting to watch where it's like, well, we could tell this chronologically, but instead we're going to chop it up and mix it around because then like you'll be more interested or more confused or whatever it might be. Um, I think a lot of times this can backfire uh, I know like Christopher Nolan popularized it and he's generally pretty good at doing that. Um, but I think a lot of times when we give people information out of chronological order, it can allow us to unfortunately not connect with a character that we otherwise would because mm. we don't understand where they're coming from. We don't understand their backstory. And then when these backstories are like revealed later on, 
Um, now you're like, well, that would have been good to know because I would might have cared about that character for a longer period of time. This movie, though, doesn't have quite that issue. The issue that it has is that it reveals a major plot point right at the beginning that the characters in the film do not yet know. And so you... Dramatic irony. Yeah. So you, as the audience member, have a key piece of information that the main characters in the film spend the movie trying to discover. And that can be a relatively frustrating experience, particularly for a very long movie. And I think just as it's usually better to tell movies, to tell stories chronologically so that you connect with the characters, know where they're coming from, understand where they are emotionally, go through the journey with them. Just as that is the case, usually, I think it's also usually best for the audience to learn information as the characters do. And the characters are, are your way of learning information. If you are in possession of more information than the main characters, you feel like you're kind of just shouting it at the screen constantly and they just never figure it out until much later on. So I found that to be kind of a, a frustrating structural thing about the movie. Overall, it's a fun movie. There are some great action set pieces, as there always are in Mission Impossible movies. Tom Cruise is, is an action star, does, does a great job. Uh, there's a great scene in, in, in an airport that's very clever and very funny. Um, I think if you're like somebody who enjoys you know action spy movies, this is great. I just thought the, the script was a little uh, more wooden than in most Mission Impossible movies. The movie is overly long. It really could easily be, be significantly shorter than it is. Doesn't need as much um, dialogue to set things up. And it could have been structured better, so we learn along with the characters. All right. It's time for the two biggest films of the summer. Barbenheimer. Were they just one? It's time to talk about Barbie. Rich Christman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is your take on Barbie. I thought it was great. I think everyone should see it. I think that it is. Um, I think it it's going to remain a cultural touchstone in a way that a lot of movies haven't been in a while. Uh, and I guess what I mean by that is like you know how there's some movies that just like ex- they just become part of like the American canon, like mm-hmm. but perhaps not even purposefully. Um, I think Barbie will will be one of those. I do think it was purposeful. <laughs> Uh, but I think that uh, I think it's good. I've I've liked everything that I've seen Greta Gerwig do. So mm-hmm. I, I I thought I would like it, and I did. Um, my only criticisms, I I think the the writing's great, the acting's great, the filmmaking in general is cool. The, uh, the costuming and the sets are immaculate. Um, yeah. It's super fun, you know. But there's also a, a lot of depth to it and a lot of social commentary. Um, yeah. my really only criticism at all is that I do think that it, it, it actually like kind of, uh, employs its own demons in the way that mm-hmm. it uses really shallow gender stereotyping to make commentary about gender stereotyping and like negative occurrences that have happened to women in Western society. But it mm-hmm. does so by 
in some ways, not always, but it does so by stereotyping and making cheap jabs at men. Mm. Um, but that being said, I still enjoy the movie. I think it's well done. I just think that as a piece of social commentary, it could have been a little bit more adept in that way. Mm. But um, that doesn't keep me from enjoying the movie or, or recommending it. Dan. Well, the soundtrack is dope. Yeah, it's pretty good. I um, I loved it. I didn't. I, I think partly because I didn't have any expectations going into it. I didn't know what kind of movie it was going to be. And to a point you made earlier, I think maybe when we were off the air, like the trailers didn't give anything away about the storyline. So yeah. it was kind of a cool experience to watch that unfold going into it fresh. The trailer was just aesthetic, mm. right? And <laughs> and I and I really appreciated that. Uh, acting was incredible. I have yet to see a Margot Robbie movie I haven't enjoyed. Uh, same thing with Ryan Gosling. Same thing with Greta Gerwig. Um, I really loved it all around. I This is going to be a weird callback. I kind of got the original Lego movie vibes from this. You're not sure. alone. Yeah. Because... And not yeah. just because Will Ferrell is in both of them, <laughs> playing, um, playing the same role, <laughs> right? But he kind of he kind of played the same role, and I appreciated the like you're in this child's world sort of thing, but mm. there's like a real world going on above it, and like here's how we're connecting the two. Yeah, um, I've heard some complaints about that. I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was very creative. I really appreciated yeah. again because I didn't know if this was just going to be like a. A, a fantasy movie where all our Barbie world, or if it's going to be a real thing. I, uh, Rich, you said earlier that this felt like an intentional movie. Uh, a lot of people don't like that. I really do like that. I felt like it was intentional and I think movies that are intentional are good. Um, <laughs> usually better. Yeah. yeah. I think to touch on the gender stereotype bit a little bit to me, this movie was not, a movie about men per se. Uh, I think this movie was about women and the struggles that they have faced in society for many, many years and kind of what it looks like right now. I would agree. I think the movie actually did a really good job of showing Ken with his issues that he had and then saying, you should fix those. And you should work on those. And I think at the service, it felt kind of like a cheap jab. And that's kind of how I felt walking out of it. And as I pondered it more, I was like, well, the movie's not for me. The movie's not about me. So they're not going to spend time really like diving into all of the stereotypes that men have to deal with because it's not about us. If Greta Gerwig wants to make a man movie at some point, go for it. She can make a standalone Ken movie where you know, please do, you know, go for it. But I thought they did a good job at the very end of just saying like, Hey, this stinks that this is what you're feeling. I'm sorry. You're feeling that way. You should do something about it. Yeah. Um, kind of like all, like we just did as the Barbies, we all did something about it. Maybe you should too. So I really enjoyed it all yeah. around. I didn't have a lot of complaints about it. Yeah. Um, I really like yeah. what you said. I, I just, just to clarify. Yeah. Um, the kind of criticism I was making was not about saying, the way that like the Kens were stereotyped necessarily more about the fact that the, um, it just felt like the kind of climax without giving, you know, tremendous amount of weight, right. The kind of like climax of the, of the 
film is pitting men and women against each other in like an irresolvable mm. way mm. rather than being like, we're all humans that can work together to this mm. end. But anyway. I get you. Yeah. So I thought this movie was, was quite good. Uh, I agree with you all. Like the, the aesthetics are impeccable. The world building is excellent. Again, similar to the Lego movie. I mean, just the way that they kind of take this, this toy and realize yeah. it in a live action film environment is so clever. I mean, even stuff like Barbie kind of floating down from her room uh, yeah. to, into her car, uh, because it's like, that's how we play with Barbies. They just all kind of, we can put them wherever we want. Yeah. Um, really like really clever touches like that, that yeah, like you, you have to have played with Barbies to make a movie like that. Um, and I, I thought that was, was well done. You know, Greta Gerwig has a Catholic background, which I think um, can can be really helpful in a lot of ways. You know, just like I was talking about with Indiana Jones, it's really neat when like people have a reverence for Christianity in some regard. And I, I think Greta Gerwig does. And I think that comes into play here because in many ways, this is a movie about identity, right? Who mm. Who are you and what are you defined by? And in a very real sense, like the main character Barbie is trying to figure out who is she, yeah. what is she, like what is she made for, mm -hmm. and those are like those big questions of identity that everybody asks and everybody has to ask, and Christianity tells you <laughs> the answer to that question, and like I think um, you know Greta Gerwig talked about how this idea of Barbie land being kind of this perfect place was analogous to Eden that there's, there's this perfect place and then the fall happens and you have to leave Eden just as, as Barbie is, has to leave Barbie land and to, to kind of find out like who she is and, and, and what she, what she can now be. And so I thought that maybe, maybe this journey and what this movie did might kind of resolve that question of identity in a somewhat Christian way. Uh, obviously, you know, it's not going to bring God into it, but maybe there would be something about kind of the Christian story that really informed that resolution. And I, I think what I walked away with was this movie did a great job of showing us what our identity should not be. Mm. And for both men and women, I think it, it showcased how too often we make our identity about what others think about us. And for Barbie and for Ken, like they're doing that, whether it's their friends or their love interest or whatever, it's like they're defined by what other people think. And actually pulling away from that and, and not making that the defining characteristic of our identity is very healthy and, and really a very, Christian thing right? you're not defined by what other people think of you and we ought not to seek the approval of man what I think the movie didn't do well for me was saying what ought your identity to be how should you define yourself and I, I think that the answer that it, it ultimately gave is hey go figure it out um, really it's whatever you want to be like you ought to be whatever you want to be and I think that's a very modern message. I don't yeah. I don't think that's a particularly 
Christian message. It doesn't really matter what you are. It's just how strong you <laughs> are that. They're all connected. All these films are connected by something. <laughs> this thread of modernity. Um, so again, I don't, I don't, ex- I don't, you know, want or expect this movie to, to, to preach at me. I didn't expect it to bring God into the picture or whatever, but I, I think that there are ways of resolving questions of identity that are, are really beautiful. For example, um, living for other people and for the good of others is a really beautiful thing that like grants purpose to us and is a thing that God absolutely loves, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus says, if you've done this to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So he connects our service to others to our relationship to him. And so there are ways that movies, even when they're secular, they're not Mm -hmm. Christian movies, they can bring in these ideas that I think are really powerful and kind of cut us to our core. And we're like, wow, like what should I be living for? Should I be living for myself or should I be living for like the good of others? And there are so many ways that I think, I think messages and ideas like that could be weaved in here. And rather I'm kind of left with a, please, you know, go, go define yourself how you will. Um, so that, that is both my, my kind of compliment to the film and my, my disappointment in kind of where it left off. Yeah. I think it was really cool how I saw a topic of idolization in the film. Absolutely. Just thinking from the, the Christian perspective, I absolutely loved Ken's line where he's like, do you know what my job description is? It's just beach, beach. not lifeguard. It's just beach. <laughs> um, and I thought what was interesting is. Uh, Barbie started to fall apart, right? We saw like the various scenes where things started going on hill. Mm-hmm. So she leaves Barbie land or um, uh, the garden, right? <laughs> and the first thing she does is she tries to say, I need to get back to that perfect life. Mm-hmm. That's what's wrong, right? What's wrong is I lost that. And there's this sort of theme of, of idolizing that perfect life. And then same thing for Ken, right? When he gets into the real world and he sees this society that's totally run by men and he's like, oh, there's power here. I'm going to go off and I'm going to idolize that. And there's this sort of idolizing perfection and idolizing control and and idolizing just Mm -hmm. the, the ideal scenario, which Lord knows I am very, very guilty of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to work through the movie to realize like, no, I have to give that up. Yeah. The perfect Barbie land was not the answer. And yeah, it seemed perfect. It seemed perfect, but it wasn't. And I thought that yeah. was kind of a cool storyline that they, they wove in there. Yeah. So speaking of Barbenheimer, uh, the other film that came out on the same day and got intertwined in the same explosive uh, phenomenon was a movie called Oppenheimer. Nice. Dan Becker, what are your thoughts on Oppenheimer? Um, shout out to my friends who I went to go see Oppenheimer with. First of all, <clears throat> Marina, Charlie, Kylie, you know who you are. Uh, they invited me to go see Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we got tickets. I'm like, wow, it's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to go. Where are the seats? Hoppin. And they said, oh, it's the second row. <laughs> nice. And I said, the second row from the back? <laughs> and they said, no, the second row from the front. And I was like, are we seeing it in like Where'd an you go? Like, IMAX theater? Are we seeing it? And they're like, no, we're just going over to the Rio, whatever. Okay. 
And I'm like, like okay. Oh, so I'll be four feet from the screen. And they're like, it's fine. And I started complaining about it. And they're like, it's fine. The seats recline. Um, it's not like there are going to be that many like close-ups on someone's <laughs> face that you're so going to be. <laughs> I really want to rewatch this movie uh, in a better like Murphy's pores, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want to really rewatch this movie in like a better aspect ratio because I I, I do feel like it had like a uh, interruption. Anyways, sure, sure. I really loved the movie. I struggle a little bit to say what I loved about it because I feel like it told a couple different stories. Like obviously it was telling the story about the creation of the first atom bomb. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of bombs out there. I don't know what they're all called. Yeah. That's um, part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it also told the story of Oppenheimer as like a person, but I feel like it wasn't even just Oppenheimer as a person. It was like, a lot of sub stories about like the events that Oppenheimer went through. Um, He's almost a device in that way. Yeah. And it's, it is not a critique or a complaint. I think it's just one of those things where I feel like I need to go back and rewatch it. And every time I go back and rewatch it, I could probably get something else from it. Um, But look, it's a Christopher Nolan film, right? And it had Christopher Nolan things. Um, limited palette colors, fun, unique, yeah. whatever. No, I'm kidding. Constantly moving through time. <laughs> Constantly <laughs> moving through time. Um, yep. And Cillian Murphy nailed it. I mean, incredible actor, incredible writing. He killian it. He killian Wait. It actually is Killian. Killian, yeah. killian. I am so sorry. It's okay. That was just a slip of it's the okay. Killian, if you listen, I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Murphy's Law. Dude, he's uh, he's going to peaky blinders you now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Scarecrow. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Florence Pugh did amazing. Emily Blunt was awesome. Um, Josh from Drake and Josh was yeah, great. Crushed it. He nailed it. And, uh, yeah, all over uh, 10 out of 10. I loved it. It's ooh, a good movie. Ooh. What do you think, Rich? Um, I I liked it a lot as well. Um, I enjoyed its epic scale. I guess mm-hmm. is a, a way to put it. It felt very much like it had multiple acts. Um, you know, it, it almost felt like more than one movie, which is actually a pro and a con. Like there were, mm-hmm. the, it it felt like the last act of the movie, in some ways, was like a little bit gratuitous. But I enjoyed mm-hmm. that as well. It just like I almost wanted an intermission. You know, uh, like back, like they had it like Ben Hur back in the day. You know, I enjoyed the movie I, for all the reasons Dan said. I thought that was really great. I was expecting a very specific, like deep. I don't know. Is it biopic or biopic? Biopic. Okay. Um, I was expecting a very deep dive into Oppenheimer, the man, and we definitely mm-hmm. got that. But I feel like the movie is primarily about the atomic age with Oppenheimer as a device to talk about the age mm. and that that's not a bad thing I just was like I, I've been interested in Oppenheimer as a person for a while um, I came across like a documentary about him like years ago and I've been very interested in him as like this yeah. tortured soul guy like like a tortured genius you know which yeah. of course the movie does depict Showcases you know that, yeah. Uh, yeah but I did feel like it was more about it om- I felt like the movie was more about his circumstances and the circumstances surrounding his genius than hi- the man himself and mm-hmm. I just wish we got a little bit more of the man but that being said 
I actually think the movie's strongest act, let's say, is the part where he is he's being um, trialed. He's uh, you know, uh, and and I think that the the part that everybody you know knows is coming, which is the development and testing of the bomb. That was all well and good, but that wasn't yeah. nearly as interesting to me as like the McCarthy trial type stuff. So, yeah. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. did such Mailed a good it. job. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Incredible. And Incredible that, that Han Solo <laughs> guy, Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> anyway, keep going. This is uh, this is a star-studded cast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan mentioned the like the two women in the film, but this movie stars like. Pretty much every famous white guy. <laughs> um, it didn't have any of the Chris's though. It didn't have Pine or Pratt. Sure, sure. No, but it's just like every scientist comes across. You're like, oh, I think I've seen that actor before. It's got Matt Damon in it. Um, no, I think... Um, the actual Einstein. Oh, wait. There you go. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize that Oppenheimer and Einstein like knew each other prior to this. So uh, that was like an interesting thing for me that I, I thought ended up being a great... Um, plot point and really kind of bookended the film. I think it's worth mentioning as kind of a disclaimer. This is an R rated movie, um, has graphic nudity. I think that's worth mentioning. You know, if you think back on, like we said with guardians being traumatizing too, like you can educate yourself about what's in the movie. We're not going to like spoil major plot points. Um, but I think for somebody who is used to watching Christopher Nolan movies and being like, they're cool action films. This one's a little different in that way. Um, Christopher Nolan did make an R-rated movie, Insomnia, a while back, uh, which which I've seen. It's pretty good, pretty intense. Um, this is another another R-rated film of his. You know, overall, I thought this was a very good biopic, uh, and I what I was most impacted by was kind of that central conflict in Oppenheimer's life where he has participated in creating something that he feels like is destroying the world. And it seemed like such a, a vital thing to do. Like we have this terrible enemy and therefore we must get to this technology before they do. It's going to happen anyway. Somebody's going to get it. We have to get it before they do. And then you kind of tell yourself that and you, you work on it and then you find that that is being used against a different set of people that you weren't envisioning that it would be used against. And then that thing continues and grows and continues to spur conflict in ways that you never expected or intended. And how do you reconcile your role in those consequences. Um, you were, you were part of the means. Are you responsible for any of those ends? And I think the movie does a great job of getting to that emotional core of Oppenheimer and his kind of tortured soul (laughs) dealing with that, uh, perhaps most demonstrated by like a sequence that's just masterful filmmaking of Oppenheimer giving a speech Mm, and there's a just a collision of visuals and sounds where things like applause turn into just sounds of destruction and death Um, and similar things happen visually and and 
it shows like what a what an incredible filmmaker Christopher Nolan is. Yeah. Like this is this is just an incredible feat <clears throat> of filmmaking in a way that I look back on this list of movies that we've talked about and a lot of them I'm like this was fine. Like it was a really fun right. movie. But I think to some extent Barbie and 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 with Oppenheimer, like I think these are like feats of filmmaking where you go like, wow, these are just auteur directors firing all, on all cylinders at the top of their craft, making films for us to go to the theater and see. And it's, and it's a great experience. That one particular shot that you mentioned uh, when they were doing the, when he was giving the speech and the applause kind of goes into screams and all this stuff. Uh, I did read somewhere that he like he kind of just used CGI in, in a lot of this. And I'm sure that was implemented in some areas, mm-hmm. but I did read somewhere that there is a scene where you see somebody, I, I don't know, like disintegrating, I guess is the best word. And he chose to have that be a real person. Um, he didn't mm-hmm. disintegrate a real person. I should probably clarify. That. <laughs> um, he had no a, disintegrations. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> he had a real person there and he kind of put real. on this skin and made it, tried to make it look as quote unquote realistic as possible. And it kind of felt like a horror film at, mm-hmm. at some points. Um, the second point I wanted to make was it's weird watching this film, having the knowledge that we have in 2023, um, kind of going back to something you said about the mission impossible movie, right? They, talked about this major plot point right at the beginning. It's like all you can think about for the rest of the film and nobody else knows what's going on. Yeah. And it's the same thing. We look at the status of the world and nuclear energy and, and, and weapons and all this. And I, I kind of was watching the movie and I was kind of being like, no, don't do it. No, don't do it. Ah, he did it. Dang. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so charged yeah. you know, in, in more ways than one, but you realize like every step on this journey of creation is a step on a journey of destruction. Yeah. What a fascinating like dichotomy to, to play with and to, to realize. I, I'm always, one of the reasons why I was so excited about the movie is because I, I'm, I have for as long as I can remember been fascinated with the concept of humanity as architect of its own destruction. Like mm-hmm. the idea that we have, particularly as a Christian, the idea that like, we are given the creative image of God. So we are, we are able to, like we had this discussion a little bit about AI as well. The idea that like in a mimicry by God's gift, in a mimicry of his creative ability um, and with the resources that he's given us, we have due to Robert Oppenheimer and other people, like we have created weapons where with the, press of a few buttons we could destroy ourselves mm-hmm. and it feel because the cold war feels like a long time ago now um we like don't think about it anymore but the threat is no less real and and it and as far as i can understand it never will be like we yeah. can't yeah. you can we can't remove that from from the equation now you know yeah and i i just i do think it's fascinating like i don't know just can you imagine 
I mean, the movie did a good job communicating this, right? But, like, can you imagine the emotional weight? Like, I remember hearing people being like, I don't get why Oppenheimer is so depressed. And I'm like, <laughs> can you imagine, like, the emotional weight of, of actually thinking that literally at any given moment, mm-hmm. all of humanity would be wiped out? And it's because you made this decision. Like, you did this thing. Yeah. You know? It's just crazy. I think it's safe to say that Barbie and Oppenheimer were the, the strongest films of the summer, as everyone predicted. Yeah, absolutely. Just as Count Dooku <laughs> predicted. Yeah. They they deserved to be uh, their combined Barbenheimer phenomenon. Yeah. There's a whole marketing conversation we could have about that, too. Like, the free marketing Barbie and Oppenheimer got from just coming oh, out from on social the same media. day, from yeah, social yeah. media, just creating Barbenheimer. Well, and the fact that they had pretty much opposite aesthetics <laughs> yeah. is perfect. We should have Dr. Scott Powell on the opposite. show to talk yeah. about that. We should. But we have to move to our final question of the show now that we've talked about all these films, which is which of these would you say is the best movie? Maybe that's in kind Mm -hmm. of a technical or a filmmaking sense. Which one do you personally think is the best film? And which is the one that you would find most enjoyable to revisit? Just go for it when you got it. I got to say that at the end of the day, and it's a difficult discussion, but, um, okay, I, maybe I'll do it justice by, like, doing it this way. I think that if I have to decide, I think Oppenheimer is the best film from a purely, like, technical film. Like, if I'm off giving a single award and I have to decide... I'm going to give it to Oppenheimer. However, I think that Barbie is more rewatchable and I would enjoy seeing Barbie again imminently. Whereas I saw Oppenheimer and that was an incredible experience, mm-hmm. but I'm not like chomping at the bit to rewatch it. And uh, and I say it about Barbie not just because it was fun, but I think yeah. that that movie will blossom more the more that I see it. Yeah. Um so I, uh, but if I had to choose a best film and it would be very difficult, but I would, I would go with Oppenheimer. Yep. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with Rich. Um, I thought you were going to go with John Wick. (laughs) No, I, I, I feel like with Oppenheimer, my thing is like, I want to go back and rewatch it, but I think maybe only like one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, just so I can get some more out of it from that like I didn't row, get like, from like row, like yeah, the backest row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I want to yeah. be like in the film booth. Yeah, um, the backest row. <laughs> that would be like yeah. the really a really cool name for like a band. The backest, the backest row. row. <laughs> so I feel like yeah, I mean Richie nailed it right. Like technically and all that stuff. Like Oppenheimer's just the best. I was thinking about Across the Spider-Verse for a second, but it's like... Yeah, I thought about that too. It's like, it's clearly they put in so much hard work into that movie. But like, if you consider all the social commentary and everything of Oppenheimer, I think that's far more important. And Barbie. Of a movie and Barbie. I think mm-hmm. they're both far more important movies. Um, so yeah, I, I gotta say Oppenheimer. I bet you Across the Spider-Verse was more difficult to pull off than Barbie and Oppenheimer. It's probably just different work. I don't know. I what? mean, they didn't have to make a nuclear bomb like they did for Oppenheimer. <laughs> right, right, wow. right, right, right. They didn't have to make a fictional world <laughs> like Barbie Land. <laughs> That's true. 
so Oppenheimer is the best, mm-hmm. and I am most excited to rewatch Oppenheimer. Oh, so it's both. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's just a hard for me to answer because yeah. as yeah. soon as I rewatch it, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm done with this now. Yeah, I'm excited to rewatch it once. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to I'm I'm going to have to agree with you guys uh on Oppenheimer being the best film technically. I haven't seen Across the Spider-Verse, so maybe that would be a contender. Uh but uh I think Oppenheimer again as I've said, I think incredible feat of filmmaking. I I was conflicted here on on what I'm excited to rewatch. I think I'm going to have to go with Rich's answer of Barbie because I, I legitimately think there are things in it that I missed and like Mm -hmm. just ideas that were fleshed out that I didn't catch. And I just didn't fully understand like the intention behind. And so I'm excited to like go back and and see that revisit it. And I'm sure it'll be like fun to rewatch, but I think it'll also be like enlightening in a lot of ways. Um, I also think like I, I would honestly revisit guardians. Like I think, I just I I think it'd be fun to revisit Guardians as a trilogy, as I said at the beginning. Just a good uh, a a good time at the movies, good good popcorn series, and I think it's also similarly just like jam packed with moments. So, that's our summer movie discussion for 2023. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, I'm sure you disagreed with some of our takes. Let us know what we got wrong in the comments. Uh, Or if you thought we did a great job, you could also let us know that by leaving us a rating on your favorite podcast app and a review. We would greatly appreciate uh, five stars. Helps other people to find the show. That's really helpful to us. Thanks so much for listening to Forefront 360. Until next time, keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art.